0: This is Michael Ko from the Punk Rock and Politics Podcast, and you're listening to some of the best podcasts available on the internet, only on the No Phony Podcast Network. Two, one. Hello and welcome to Heroes Garage where we preview and review movies that are mostly having to do with science fiction, fantasy, and comic book hero movies. Today we are gathering together, Bill and I, to review the movie Joker. We I think this is
1: really the most anticipated review of the year, Tom. No
0: For correction. me it is. <laughs> For me it is. I went <laughs> at <laughs> the beginning of the year. <laughs> I think that
1: when we saw the first trailer, it uh it more than piqued our interest, but drove us to expectations that
0: definitely this has fulfilled. Yeah. Ooh, there's At the beginning of the year there was a lot of big movies that were announced and this was right. the one that I had highlighted, you had highlighted as our pick of the year. Yeah. And <laughs> well, yeah.
1: I think that we just uh from the brief glimpses that we Saw, there was a high wow. anticipation of what the Joker would be. Yeah. So why don't you start us off, Tom?
0: Okay, so like, we like to start our reviews giving a little bit of factual data, as it were. And because we're so late to the game, this movie's been out for two weekends, so the data actually is compiling quite nicely for Warner Brothers. Right. Uh, the domestic gross total to date is 201935000 Foreign included is $354 million. This movie is making money hand over fist because it didn't cost that much money to make because there's very little special effects in this movie.
1: <laughs> yes, that's where the budget is driven these days, aren't they?
0: That and advertising, and I don't know that they had to advertise too much once they put the word Joker in combination with Joaquin Phoenix and Scorsese. They didn't have to advertise anymore. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: That was pretty much, you knew what you were going to get. And the only wild card that people were worried about was Phillips, the director. And I'll say that he uh, did himself quite nicely. Another fact that I will throw in here is we like to go to Rotten Tomatoes because we like to anchor things in. Okay, how are, what is the audience saying about this movie? And then what are critics saying about this movie? We go to the tomato meter and it's at 68% whereas the audience score is at 89%. So 68 represents the critics, 89 is the audience.
1: Uh, That's that's quite a spread.
0: Yeah, and I think when we get into our review, we're going to probably be able to tease out why some critics would rate this lower. Mm. I think we'll be able to kind of highlight some of that. Um, But just some initial thoughts on your end, Bill, as our resident critic. You're the critic, I'm the counselor. Yeah, um, what what do you think is going on here with the critics and why some of them are not rating this higher? You
1: know what's really interesting is as I started read after I've seen the movie because I I really don't want to read anything prior to it. I started reading some of these reviews and um, you know it, it's it's funny. The uh, the they, the reviews get into this type of um, I want to say this. Film theory psychoanalysis approach where they break down the film and they analyze why they don't like it with that approach. Um, it's almost so academic that it becomes putrid in the way they try to describe the reason why they don't like it. And um, I know that becomes even an anti uh, a critic response, but it's true because. I, I really don't get it. I, I read some reviews and I was like, oh my gosh, what movie did you see and where are you coming from?
0: You know what's so and, crazy about that, too? Is like if you throw psychoanal- psychoanalysis into this, this movie was picture perfect psychoanalysis. Correct. I mean, and
1: I was thinking, is it, did, is it because it went over people's heads? Uh, you know, uh, or I wouldn't say people's heads, I think it went over critics' heads of you know I, i'm trying to think of the reason really is it because there's a pc crowd and there's an anti portrayal of, of of poor of mental illness and the way that it is broken down and um you know a way that this doesn't really highlight a positive view or a redemption of mental illness and so I kind of get that vibe. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I think there's. if you're looking for a hero in this film, you're not going to find it. And this is one of those slice-of-life movies with a major twist, and I'm going to hold on to that. That's one of those (laughs) zingers. There is a twist here that's definitely embedded in a mental health narrative that we will hit on in our review. This movie is not everything... That the casual, if you're not paying attention, viewer might think, and I, this is, of course, our this is my opinion and your opinion, and we'll be yeah. able to tell that as we go through the story. So, what I want to do next, Bill? But do you have one last thing to add? Yeah, I, I mean, what's interesting
1: about that is is um, the whole uh, breakdown of the movie and how the way that. Um, uh, a, a film reviewer may approach this, and um, so uh, that's why I think I'm confused of their analysis and breakdown yeah. is that um, I, I, I honestly have read it, and I try to decipher some of their reasons, and they, they speak a language that's way over my head and um, doesn't really give it a, a fair a breakdown. It's, it's kind of what I was thinking.
0: Anyway, and typically, if I were to validate your opinion, Bill, it would be in this way. What I've always heard about people who try to describe complex relationships or complex things is if they can't break it down into simple terms that everybody can understand, what it means is that they don't truly understand it. Exactly. And that's that could be what's happening here. It very honestly could be. There's individuals who are really good at crit being you know criticizing films but aren't all that good at criticizing or looking objectively with curiosity at mental health issues. and this this film is a is a documentary almost in mental health and trauma abuse. Exactly. So before we get into that, let's let's ask a couple of questions that I know the audience is dying to have answers to. Number one, who is Arthur Fleck in DC Comics, right? Right. Our audience is just like, why aren't you telling us now?
1: We've been waiting
0: all this time. It's been five minutes. You haven't told us who Arthur Fleck is. So Arthur Fleck is a character who is a laboratory worker who becomes the Red Hood, a masked criminal to steal a million dollars from his employer and retire. He falls into a vat of chemical waste when his heist is thwarted by Batman, emerging with bleached white skin, red lips, green hair, and a permanent grin. So if you ask yourself, okay, that doesn't sound like what I watched in Joker, the movie that we just watched, you are absolutely correct. (laughs) Right? He was not that. So that had me going over to another famous Joker um, book called The Killing Joke. There you go. So that's an Alan Moore book. And if if you're thinking to yourself in the audience, I just want to pick up a Joker story and I want to... It's, I want a, just a great Joker comic book. Go get The Killing Joke. You will not be disappointed. There were a run of books written late 87 through 88 that were some of the best comic books ever written. The Killing Joke is in there. Watchmen is another one. Uh, Born Again Daredevil is another one. There's two other ones. I think there's Batman. Another Batman one is in there. It's either Year One or The Dark Knight. It's just a string of of incredible books, but one of them is a killing joke, and in that he's a comedian. Arthur Fleck is a comedian, and he's not making ends meet, and he ends up falling in with a group of mobsters and tries to to commit a crime, and he ends up trying to steal something out of a chemical plant, falls into the the chemicals, and is transformed into the Joker. There's more of that going on in this film. Um, In this film, Joker is a comedian, Although he's not a stand-up. He tries to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> right. Um, so those are some of the loose connections to the DC Comics. Some of the themes are pretty close. Um, but there's there's not a, a... They didn't try to maintain a connection, a very um, maybe orthodox connection to DC Comics history here yep. in this movie. Uh-huh. And I have I have no problem with it, actually. I like this origin better than any of them that I've read in the comic books, actually.
1: Yeah, this was an origin that was sourced um, kind of, I would say, a uh, a hodgepodge of um, approaches. You, you know, they, they've left the traditional Joker falls into a VAT approach out, right? right. And <clears throat> that the chemicals are the source of making him... A a psychopath, and uh, because he was kind of there, and and, you know, basically pushed over the edge. If that makes sense, Um, but I I think that um, there is 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 a real treatise here of how uh, really to give a a character some true background and origin. Absolutely. You know, that, that what becomes the gem of this movie in, you know, in superhero and and comic books, you you know, you're, what is it that you're, you're bit from a spider, you know, you inherit a ring, uh, et cetera. Right. It all seems like it's accidental. You become a superhero. Um, this is a true, uh, deep dive into something more and complicated.
0: Absolutely. And I'll run through a couple more of the credits here as we get very close to diving into the meat and potatoes of this review. <laughs> Director is Todd Phillips. Writers Todd Phillips, Scott Silver, and there's three more credits there. Um, star Wars. This star is starring Joaquin Phoenix. He is in pretty much every frame of this movie. Uh, Robert De Niro, Zazie Dietz, and others. And Scorsese is credited as well, and I think it was humorous. He got into some social media banter with Marvel yeah. fans, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Um, Francis Conroy is Penny Fleck. Brett Cullen is Thomas Wayne. Shay Wigham is Detective Burke. I'm not going to go too far here because Joaquin Phoenix is Arthur Fleck is where you start and begin with this. Um, Robert De Niro does play a pivotal role. In some regard is Marie Franklin and then Zay Z Beats is Sophie Dummond, who is a kind of a breath of fresh air in what in some regards, because she's probably the most normal thing about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, basic story. In Gotham City, nineteen eighty-one, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face-to-face with his alter ego, the Joker. I guess what I would say is this is a story about a boy that was traumatized, physically and emotionally abused by his mom's paramour or boyfriend. His mom had mental illnesses of some kind, and we get hints in the movie that she it was something on the psychotic string somewhere. So there's a lot of different psychotic disorders that someone could be diagnosed with. Most people think of schizophrenia when they think of psychosis, but you can also have psychotic features with bipolar, with major, major depression. But basically, psychotic is nothing more complex than seeing, smelling, thinking, feeling things exist that don't. And so it's a delusional kind of way of going through life. And you see that kind of going on with Well, you see that all over the place in this movie, and I don't really want to spoil this yet, but I do think that plays a major role in Sophie's um, character and in others. Another thing is, so his mom is a worker for the Wayne Enterprises, and she has a view of how that went, uh, a false story that she tells Arthur, which Arthur believes. They play off this in the movie where Arthur is at home alone with his mentally ill mother. as he, And he's a mentally ill, uh, traumatized and abused young man. And he's taking care of her, bathing her, uh, pretty much entertaining her. They're almost like a, a, a romantic couple as much as they are fa- mother and son.
1: Exactly. And
0: the movie kind of moves on from there. And Arthur goes through a series of tragedies. And you see that in life, it's not the one tragedy or a diagnosis of mental illness that causes the collapse of, of someone's life. It's a series of events, and you see it with him. He is a he gets attacked a few times. Right. Uh, the, he gets handed a weapon by one of his coworkers, which is really a dumb thing.
1: Um, <laughs> kind of really actually, would became the antithesis of the entire
0: transformation
1: yeah. of the Joker, right? About yeah. The
0: you see a couple of turns in the road here, and one of them is when he gets attacked on a subway and he fights back. Another one occurs later on when he finds a letter his mom wrote to Thomas Wayne. He confronts Thomas Wayne, he, he being Arthur Fleck, and Thomas Wayne tells him some truth. So then Arthur goes and investigates and finds out that what his mother says about his his backstory is false, that he's actually adopted and not his mother's biological son, that is another fork in the road that turns him dark, so to speak. Yeah. And it kind of goes downhill from there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the movie starts off really with um, Arthur uh, having mental illness and showing he has mental illness. And really what's impacting right off the get-go is the... You know, his trip to the pharmacy and the amount of medication that he has to take to combat his mental illness. And his uh, trips to the therapist and really how um, both channels were really helping him. Um, And he expresses that, that really the medication isn't helping him. His counseling time isn't helping him. And so you 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 look at this poor soul that right at the beginning he gets beaten up right by kids, and he yeah. kind of excuses it in a way is uh, they're a bunch of kids, and you know he has bruises on his back, he's obviously malnourished and um and what makes him unlikable is this laugh that he this uncontrollable laugh which he can't control, which is also due to his mental illness. So we get a kind of a baseline of where Arthur is starting from, and it's not good at all.
0: No. And it's as much mental illness as it is uh, exposure to early childhood trauma as it is to isolation. Yes, yeah. And one thing that you see, and not to be preachy here, but as a mental health worker for a good chunk of my life, isolation is is the portion where if you add that to a batch of, of childhood experiences of trauma mixed with mental illness. Uh, it is a devastating quality to have in someone's life. And you yeah. see it in Joe. This is a tragedy, this movie. Like, I just want to say it off the bat. Anything that you read on social media, if you haven't seen this movie, don't give in to the hype that they somehow make glorify violence or glorify the Joker in this. I did not walk out of this film feeling that way. Did you, Bill? No, not at all. Uh, I mean that what I I walked
1: away from is is really a study and a tragedy of how somebody becomes a, a psychopath. Um, for one, secondly, is you see how society can just really how we just treat it. it, it it's a message of how we treat one another. Now, you know, this is a isolated circumstance, but how that is becomes an, an enabler. And then, thirdly, and most importantly, in all this is just a person's upbringing. Um, I, you know, off of the beginning, I didn't, I knew his mom was off, but I didn't know how off she was. Yeah. Until the story, you know, uh, kind of enrouted itself. Right? Is Arthur has this self discovery of who he is? Ultimately, this as this onion becomes peeled in front of us.
0: Yeah, and there is, so we should probably define the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, because why not? Yeah, there we go. There's a lot of, this this has Tom Zim analysis all over it. I mean, why not, right? Right. So sociopaths, uh, repeated violations of the law. Right. You have pervasive lying and deception, physical aggressiveness, reckless disregard for the safety of self and others, consistent irresponsibility in work family environments and a lack of remorse so a couple of things i want to highlight a lack of empathy is a big kind of red like a <laughs> flashing light when joker you see, red flag if you see violent behavior like well how do you know if it's really really scary versus scary right because violence also violence is scary um it doesn't matter if you're a marine or a or what you are, how many skills you have. If you're in an environment that's filled with violence, which this context of this movie, it, there's a lot of really scary things going on in society. Yeah. And so and that's going on all around. So that's a sociopath. So a psychopath, there's a lack of guilt or remorse, lack of empathy, lack of deep emotional attachments, narcissism, super superficial charm, dishonesty, uh, manipulativeness, recklessness, and risk-taking. So, you There's see him fall into the vat of one of these columns? <laughs> Whoa, he used a vat. Interesting. <laughs> he
1: doesn't physically fall into the vat, but psychologically he falls into the
0: vat. I see yeah, what you're he doing here. <laughs> yes. And I don't know that they stick in a real authentic way to sociop- a soci- psychopath or sociopath um, column. But you definitely see him fall into this place where he feels it feels a little narcissistic, especially at the end with the conversation with the with the um, Nero's character. You do see superficial charm, although he's pretty greasy. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, he does have a lack of deep emotional attachments, and this is where we start to get deeper, right? Because right. he's got this. Attachment to Sophie that on the surface of it looks deep, and you have this real odd kind of connection to his mom, but then when it all boils down, you see that he doesn't actually have deep emotional attachments to either one of them. It was all fantasy and delusion, and both of they're different, different kinds of delusions, but they were definitely um, delusions. Right, right, yeah, I I would agree because.
1: you know, especially with the, uh, you know, I think that, you know, as as we have grown up from being kids and, you know, have some kind of infatuation as a teenager with some girl and you, you dream up of a, a romance and a dream up a relationship. I don't know if I'm the only one speaking here that ever has done that, but to a point where it's completely delusional that he, it, it. it you try to think of, okay, is this just his thoughts or is he actually believing this is happening?
0: So That's a big question. I want to talk about this because was Sophie's, most of her storyline, was it almost all a delusion? Did, right. it, did that whole relationship begin and end with the time in the elevator and then she comes back to say hi to him or there's another encounter? Did he actually go back and kill Sophie and her child? Early right. on, and the rest of it is all just a fantasy? Yeah, I I don't
1: think so, because that was in the timeline of when he was there. I don't think he did, um, because I think that he um, he wasn't there yet. He I don't think he committed the subway crimes at that time when he met her in the okay. elevator. But I do feel that the entire relationship... Um, was I, I I don't know if he actually believed it was happening because when he was on her couch, that's when it became a shock to everybody in the audience that haven't figured it out or ready that he was um, dreaming about this. But I think us as a viewer, this is my assumption, us as a viewer, we were witnessing this fan. It was a fantasy, right? I don't think it was truly delusional in the in the point of that. He believed this was happening I think it was at a point that he was fantasizing about this because we see a lot of other instances when he would see himself in uh, in, a, in a in a situation and it's almost like he mentally is you know like any kind of thinking of this being ha- this happening but he was an observer and so yeah I think when he was on the couch and he left the couch you, you kind of wonder like okay did he just kill her. Or did he leave? And that's one of the mysteries of the movie that you could come up with probably an assumption for either or. But um, I, I I believe in that it was more fantasy than it was delusional.
0: Yeah, I I kind of lean towards that he probably killed them, but we just don't know when he did it because the movie does bounce around a lot and. I think the reason why, and that's just a guess, I don't know. Um, I'd have to have a conversation with the writers to truly find out. Um, but one thing that this movie does is it puts you in the headspace of Arthur Flack. Yes. yes, it does. And it starts, what happens is this movie, You get, you get about halfway through this movie or maybe a third of the way through, and you realize they're not building towards some big misunderstanding of a hero story here (laughs) right they're not doing that story (laughs) you get into this about somewhere between a third to 50 percent, depending on who you are and how you take in your movies and you start to realize nope, this is this is we're this is documentary level you know just walking around observing in the headspace of a mentally ill individual as they're trying to fight their way through these situations in life what did you think about and we'll go through some of the characters here so we talked a little bit about sophie she was kind of your breath of fresh air relief in this movie if there is any any of that in this movie um you have thomas wayne what did you think about his depiction that character in the movie you know i
1: i you know it's interesting i i felt like it was opposite from what thomas wayne was always portrayed which was more of a uh not as pompous. I mean, although he was wealthy, he tend to be uh I, I don't I didn't think he he I thought he came across prideful and arrogant. Um but again when you take a story like this that hasn't been created before, you have that liberty of um portraying characters, whatever they need to be. And so when you look at the society aspect of it that was clearly the rich versus poor, clearly rich versus poor in the society mm-hmm. that Wayne filled that shoes of the rich and being prolific in his run as being a mayor and uh, made sense to portray his character that way, that he wasn't someone who was rising above the vitriol, right? He just aligned himself to one side.
0: Yeah. I
1: actually. He was not the philanthropist, I believe, that he was supposed to be portrayed in the comics.
0: Yeah. And actually, it makes so much more sense with Thomas Wayne portrayed this way. And what you're seeing is you're seeing that perhaps Thomas Wayne didn't change, but the lens through which we viewed Thomas Wayne changed. And That's you correct. see this through the lens of the poor. Through the lens of the marginalized, the isolated, those, the have nots. And the city is portrayed from that point of view. Everything is dirty. There's piles of garbage everywhere. There's poor lining the streets. There are people running around with Joker masks on because they are so poor and so angry and fed up with the disparity of power between the rich and the poor. That that whole move that becomes a movement in this movie. (laughs) And so, when Thomas and Martha are walking their little son, Bruce, out of the theater, and two masked men come in and um, confront them and kill them spoilers to a hundred year old story arc. That is believable. I think even more so than than in I mean I liked it. I liked it because it made sense in the story. Yeah, I mean I think that
1: the what it was really portraying was uh 1970s New York, right? Yeah, right. Uh and and it and because I think that's when this was based, right? It was 70s Gotham. Yeah, okay, 1981, which, you know, would mean that they would begin out there. But this is Gotham but it felt like 70s New York, the trash, the poverty, the crime, um, the pornography, really, everything that was seen in every yeah. movie was some kind of pornography, which was even a commentary on itself, and um, it was just so just showed the, the moral depravity of society at that time. Uh, but that's how New York was. Um, that's how Times Square was. If anybody would tell you in the 70s, that was Times Square. Uh, pornography, dirty, crim-ridden. Um, you know, before um, it was cleaned up. So uh, it was a, a perfect environment for um, a person like Joker to uh, come out of,
0: really. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of Penny Fleck in Francis Conroy's portrayal of Penny Fleck? Well, it's interesting because at the beginning, I don't think Penny was just
1: a harmful fly, right? To uh, quote uh, Norman Bates's line in Psycho. <laughs> a harmless
0: fly, as harmless,
1: harmless, harmless as a fly. I will not even squash this fly. That's when he's sitting motion, motionless and psycho. Yeah. Anyway, that's how she was. Um, she was harmless. She was, uh, you know, a little off. Um, didn't know how off she was until later in the story, when you realize, oh wow, this woman had problems, and um, Arthur never knew about her problems. So the portrayal of her um, was very unique in the way that it was uh, like you crack the shell open and here you have this this awful past of uh, this mental um, institutionalized woman that is out. uh, But has definitely has calmed down from her uh, Mm -hmm. earlier type of, um, Mm -hmm. um, you know, problems. Right. I mean, yeah. That's what I found was kind of unique, was she was older, a little quirky, but didn't show what we saw
0: later on in the film when she was younger, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is, she is like the visual representation of the saying, have you heard the saying, the penny drops? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no pun intended, literally. No, yeah. that yeah, no, um, probably
1: goes together.
0: Yeah. So she tells a lot of lies. Now it's connected yeah. to mental illness. So we're not angry about the lies and they really work well in the story. So we're definitely not angry about it. It's not an emotional observation. Yeah. And when oh, Arthur. <laughs> a, what the. Yeah, we don't have a personal problem with Penny Flack. When <laughs> Arthur pulls the pen and realizes the lies, the penny drops.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's. The harmless fly becomes the instigator of a complete drop into completely giving into his into his socio-psychopathic ways, and he ends and I up. Think that, go ahead. Oh, he ends up murdering his mom in the hospital. That's that's a that pretty turn, pretty that's a thing you don't turn. That's a thing you don't come shocking. back from. <laughs> that,
1: that was pretty shocking, and you're right. And and, and I think that spoilers. You know, let, let's look at yeah. Uh, yeah this is all spoilers going forward, Um, I mean, think about the flight of Arthur from being picked on by kids to not really being happy, to being overdosed in his medication, to be laughed at uh, by even fellow clowns, and um, be given a gun, and then he, uh, again, gets proceeded to be kicked on and kicked and retaliates, right, or defends himself, Uh, really, that uh, he kills the his attackers and when he does that it, there's relief like something that comes off of him and um, you know now I thought when he um, learns the truth about what happened to his past and he became the person that he was because of the traumatic uh, experience as a younger boy which led to brain damage Yeah, from, from the physical abuse he received um, which is just a just a horrible tale of what happened to him as a boy. Uh, then you see this uh, this response to all this, uh, and this response is is vengeful, right? It's it's revengeful. It's you stole this from me. You lied to me. You perpetrated to me. You made me into something that I am not and he just straight out kill her so it tr- he transformed from somebody that defends himself to a uh, flat-out vengeful murderer and well, it just well, he continues gets, from there
0: he gets mobilized by yeah. his perceptions of the wrongs committed against him by others the first one right. is with the the subway and he ends up defending himself and killing three people with that weapon that the other clown gave him he has a situation with his mom he finds out that she's been lying to him the whole time and that's a betrayal that's like a trauma betrayal for him like okay boom then he kills her the next one and the character that i want to get your impression on next is robert de niro's character murray franklin he has a pretty strong reaction to murray's uh sins in <laughs>
1: for I lack of a better word against right, him right. too I mean so he's basically in a stand up comedy and they you know they grab a clip and they start making fun of him and then they make the call to him to star on the show, but before that he he basically kills uh the other clown uh, right when right. into the apartment this is before he goes after Murray. So you see, uh, like this, you you hurt me, you betrayed me, and that was an extremely intense scene. Not not, not like killing your let's mom. Let's talk about
0: it. Murray first, though. Like Murray,
1: okay.
0: well, yeah, Murray's so, the end, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the clowns first. Try um, to <laughs> <laughs> get some chronological cl- so, part yeah. of this. That slowly builds. Yeah, Murray. I was going. I was going character to character, but you're right. We should wait for the Murray thing at the end. So the cl- the character, the um, clown, the other clown, uh, comes over actually is kind of to check on him just to see if he's okay. Well, and, I think it's
1: more than that, right? It's because the cops have been trying to figure out who killed oh, these yeah. three guys,
0: they and might hit, that, it on him, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah and they're—I uh, think the guy whose name was Randall, right? And yeah. um, so they—he's trying to cover his rear end, really. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah you're right. Where's that gun? What'd you do with it? And I think the 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 lack of a better term, Bridget, that came in was really condoling little person, condolences, little person, uh, vertically impaired. uh, Was the uh, you know trying to give? It was under the umbrella of condolences of your mother, and that's why uh, they both showed up. But really, the the it was Randall trying to cover his rear end of like where's the gun, the cops think it's me, I know it's you, you know, what are you doing? And then that's when Arthur unleashes on him.
0: Yeah. And that and was a chilling scene, wasn't
1: it? That was extremely chilling scene, right? Yeah.
0: That's where you just see you just see him. He's there's no He didn't flip any switch. The switch was already flipped it was... at that point. <laughs>
1: It's basically, he has made decisions already that this is the, he has chosen a path
0: and he is strolling down it. Yeah. You know what this is, what they do in this movie, they do what you think was going to happen when they were, when they did the prequels and how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader. And we all thought it was some big mysterious thing and it was going to be so incredible and it was going to be so dark and so meaningful. Well, Joker did this in this movie. (laughs) Um, They did it right in this movie. Because it's not simplistic. It is not. There are so many layers to this. And by the time you get to that scene with the two comedians in his his apartment, he is down in a very dark place. Yeah. And I thought one of the most chilling things is where the little person
1: is
0: trying to leave and he couldn't reach the lock.
1: And you didn't know what he was going to do with them.
0: Yeah, you didn't know. And you felt like, oh, you just, everybody wanted him to get free and get out. And you could hear the audience oh. that I was with gasping and like, oh, that no.
1: That's Gary. We're all squirming in our seats. And then he just goes to Gary, of course. He goes, I always liked you, Gary. And he kissed him on the, his head. Yeah. I don't have anything against you, Gary. Yeah, there you go.
0: And that is the it. He has things against people he now. Has, <laughs> that,
1: was, that was it. It was, he has a list. Yeah. Really.
0: Yeah, He, he has does. a list. And next on the list, and now we're ready to talk about... <laughs> no, Tom, pull it out. Murray now Franklin. You, yes. Wow. So Murray, Murray Franklin does something that you don't want to do to people who have a bone to pick. He mocks and makes <laughs> fun him of... Mocking him in person? Really? You don't do that to people? You know, at, at least have the decency sin- of doing it behind my back. I always say, don't mock me to my face. <laughs> at least do it behind my back. I don't care, do it all day long as long as you do it behind my back. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, he kind of yeah. pays the ultimate price for it.
1: Yeah, he does, and which is very interesting, um, that how Phillips specifically chooses uh Robert De Niro for this role. Yeah. Because I, I think that um what I really liked and I know we'll talk about Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this, but you just see the full transformation into Joker. Mm-hmm. Right. Is, and even he said, You know, what's this with the makeup? What's this looking at? He goes, You know, this is my new look. And and then he tells the guy, Introduce me as the. He's like, Introduce me as the Joker. Why? Well, because that's what you called me, Murray. You called me oh. a Joker. I don't remember that. You know, he's like, I don't remember. You remember that? No, I don't remember that. He goes, That's what you're going to call me. You thought I was a Joker. And so it it's very, uh, you know, you have that look, but it's also, uh, you know, how. Scorsese um brought in Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy which both has Robert De Niro as as the character. Yeah. As as the as the main and uh protagonist. Mm-hmm. And more with the Taxi Driver that you you see this. Mm-hmm. And um I think that was really that Robert De Niro being alive now becomes the person on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he becomes now the antagonist of of the character rather than, um, you know, he's he's no longer Travis Bickle, which mm-hmm. was the driver's character's name instead of it's Arthur Fleck. And um, so I, I love the the way uh, you have this cross uh, characters and movie depictions but even more how you bring in uh, the actor the actual actor that portrayed this role in in what 1972 I believe or 76 yeah 76 right yeah. so there's so it's, it's such a great tie in it's so remarkable that's yeah. what i
0: say so. yeah. yeah it's amazing so the last thing we'll talk about before we get to some entertainment value and reflections on the movie and give our ratings is Joaquin Phoenix um, masterful but what do you think of Joaquin Phoenix and Arthur Fleck's storyline in this movie wow I mean uh, you know and I think we just even talk,
1: talked about this a little bit offline is when we saw the uh, trailer we were very intrigued and what pulled us in was not necessarily the movie of the Joker but it was Joaquin's Phoenix portrayal of the Joker and you saw that in the trailer, and they did a great job. What you didn't expect was how great it was going to be because usually trailers have a way of really showing their cards i I always believe i i feel i could I could pretty much guess the tone and the flavor of the movie as I'm going into it by the trailer. No kidding, I mean it's like yeah. nine, nine nine times out of ten. I know what I'm getting into mm-hmm. uh this is it was better than expected uh they I mean Joaquin Phoenix what incredible acting transformation and what was interesting was when he started how gloomy and uh it, uh just morbid he looked and then as he got off the drugs and he murdered people he tend to brighten more which you would think would be the opposite reaction so it it was such a flip of character that it's like this burden and this psychological weight just lifted off of him. And you saw Joaquin Phoenix just do that. And that was
0: just masterful. I mean, yeah, what you saw was the removal of ambivalence. Yes. Removal of ambivalence. Yeah. He was battling. There was at least a dilemma going on for a little while. It was Uh connected to things that he proved at least to himself to be lies. And as those things vanished, and it, it all stripped away. The penny drops, and he realizes I've never been happy a day in my life. Right. I am, and he just gives right into it. And you see him; you see his mood completely changes. And, and he you, becomes,
1: and he's not sullen anymore. No that's, what, no, that's what's so interesting is that that sullen, sunken eye look that he portrayed in the beginning it starts lifting from him.
0: And when I say the lies are. I mean, from his perspective. His right? perspective. Like, yeah, right. From his perspective, because we are in his head. So when I say that, I'm not saying like truth in general. That's not a general statement. <laughs> That's like a, it's a, it's a statement about film. his perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's all within the film, and uh, you know, I just loved it—the fact that how much weight he lost, um, just to show how the you know he was um, decimated and deprived and poor and then he makes this transformation into the actual Joker, and uh, I thought was extremely intriguing how, how the use of music was used with him, how he would dance mm-hmm. to almost rid himself of any bad feelings of what he did or crime he committed or guilt, right, or guilt he was going to commit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very symbolic, and I, I thought the way that he transformed the way it's you. How can you look at this performance and say this? This is not an incredible performance. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just he carries everything in this film and it is so hard to do.
0: I know. And you can imagine that he he carries this film. And when you look back at the films that have been made this year, this is by far at, at the top of the list. Amongst three or four of the best films of the year, in the yep. sense of its thoroughness, its cinematography, the story, the depth, the layers, and what pulls the whole thing is Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Yep. If he doesn't pull it off, this thing is pardon the expression a complete joke. <laughs> <laughs> it is because then it becomes uh, you don't it's it's not
1: believable what you're trying to pass here, right? right? Right. Uh, all you're doing is is you're passing memories or ideas or theories or you know uh analyses across to the viewer instead what you have is an actor who is truly embodying every single one of those things and it makes it completely convincing of what he is uh doing yeah. and uh that's what's so it, it astonishing about it and i think that you know, I cannot see the Academy ever uh, giving him an Oscar for this because this is not a happy character. This is not a happy-go-lucky character, um, but this is a performance in mental illness and negativity, and it's very difficult for the Academy to ever say that this is great, which you know um it reminds me uh of in the 80s when i was in film school i cannot recommend the movie now but back then i could it was blue velvet and dennis hopper um played uh this character he played two characters that year and um it was extremely disturbing uh movie it was a david lynch movie and um his but his acting was just unbelievable And only when Silence of the Lambs came out um, did it become that you had a disturbing character uh, actually win an Oscar. So um, they don't have a way of really showing a a real psycho, you know, analytical character just driven to the edge as as an Oscar winner, where this one definitely deserves it. There's my rant
0: there you go i'd like to hear that i'd like to hear your perspective on that because i think as just casual viewers and fans of comic books and superheroes and wah 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 we don't oftentimes understand why the academy votes one actor over another and it seems like they the academy likes to embrace these things that are outside uh, a couple of clicks outside the norm and but, in this case, maybe it's too far. Maybe it's too it's ancillary. Too it's too far.
1: I mean, Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, it was a couple of clicks, and it was disturbing. But, like I said, is a couple of years ago before in Dennis Hopper's performance. And I remember, specifically because I saw that, I, I, I just saw that Dennis Hopper and their response that he didn't win when everybody knew the type of performance that he pulled off was incredible but it was an extremely disturbing character and because of that that was he had no chance um so that there is a lot of ways that there's not a uh a um, a true performance rating on um actors it 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 uh, has to fill within this between these these like you said it, it has it could be a couple of clicks away but it, it's not way off and yeah. you know Dennis Hopper's uh, Frank Booth I knew it was Frank I could not remember the last name but uh, yeah if anybody has ever seen Blue that will know that Frank Booth is right up there with disturbing acting performances
0: yeah. So, Bill, let's talk about entertainment value and ratings. (laughs) So, let's start with the critic, the film critic. What is your, how do you, if you could talk about what was the entertainment value for you and then what would be your final rating of this movie?
1: Yeah. So, the entertainment value really is um, watching um, Joaquin Phoenix, right? Uh, It's him and how this character. Goes from bad to worse to just complete hideousness. Is that the right word?
0: Hideosity? <laughs> no,
1: Hideosity. You know, it's a spiral downward, and it, it's not a, a true, like, it's not pleasant in in the way that we like to be entertained. Like, a, it is a, a true analysis. I mean, when I was watching him on, on when he came on of the show, I literally sat on my edge of my sheet because that was the scene he was supposed to kill himself. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, where he just realizes something else. And so the entertainment value was just the study of watching him. And if you're not, if you're into stories, if you're in like real plots and stories, this movie is not going to be rated as as high. And I think that may be what critics will um, poo poo on this because, there, the the plot and story is surrounded of the making of the Joker, and that may seems superficial to people, but I felt it was very entertaining in the regards of a study of true um, cycle analysis. And uh, if you're not really into that type of character development or haven't appreciated that type of character development, I could see that you wouldn't like it. But what's odd is the audience really liked it the audience got it i believe yeah. and um where the critics i don't know where their heads are at they're supposed to be the i i thought it would be flipped <laughs> no, no. you know like no. this 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 is disturbing this is it and then, so the critics are like this is disturbing it's like oh my gosh did you go to film school i'm trying to think of if you did or not anyway um it was entertaining at that level
0: yeah How? what's your rating
1: Oh, I definitely want to give it a uh a nine and a half out of ten. Uh I really do. And it's from the formist. Uh you know, as I go back into all my my films, um I there is not really a uh a comic book movie that is like this. Uh, um, I really I was just shuffling through my brain of first what origin movie is like this for a super vil, villain or superhero. And I don't think there's anyone that's had this kind of deep analysis. But could you imagine if there was um, a superhero movie that had this type of uh, of character development? That would be amazing.
0: Yeah, it would. It would, be, it would be incredible. So entertainment value, you kind of hit on it. And I probably talked about it throughout this entire review. The entertainment value is just the way they strip away, like all the different... The ways they they represent the different factors that led to how Joker got to where he got to by the end of the film. So the early the exposure to early childhood trauma, and you mentioned it earlier, which the traumatic brain injury like that alone could have been a huge factor in in his demise. But you add to it him being chained to a radiator, right. um, just Be- beaten, emotionally ignored, avo- you know neglected. Um, marginalized and it just kind of goes from there and he's got a mentally ill mom and he's got some mental illness things going on we don't know if it's all if it's hereditary or if it's you know some of that there's like if both parents are diagnosed with a bipolar disorder or schizophrenia something you know your chances of your child having a higher there's a higher chance your child could could get that same diagnosis
1: but but you don't know if it's
0: you don't know if it's all that in. It's nature versus nurture. And I think in this movie, they kind of give you both of it. They show yeah. you how what was going on in his environment was and both systemically and personally contributed, but also his organic makeup made up it. And then he had these, these things that are way beyond his control. And you see that happen to him like you have if, like it's just a bad draw to have an abusive paramour give you a brain injury and tie you to a radiator, right? Like, that doesn't... Right. You can't predict that. It's not within the control of the person that receives that abuse, but he received it. And I love that part of it. That part of the... That entertainment value is amazing. I will say, though, that this film is... I didn't run out of this film like, Oh, wow, this is the greatest film I ever saw in my life! And the reason why I didn't feel that way is because it, you didn't have... um There's no histrionics in this. No. There's nothing there. They didn't put a shiny face on it. No. There's no silver lining, folks. (laughs) Uh This is, um, even Schindler's List had someone in it who was, you know, helping the Jews get out of a concentration camp and save people, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, This doesn't have that.
1: No. No. There's nothing. And I think that's probably why, that's another factor why critics uh, don't like it. But, You know, I I think that that means to me is if you're a critic that doesn't like this, that means you bought into a formula um, that there has to be that filmic release. And um, there really wasn't here uh, a filmic release. And it does take uh, a strength to stomach this, um, this type of movie, because, you know, a lot of people have been so trained by. Your sitcom type of viewing of media and uh, filmmaking where, you know, the Schwarzenegger type films come in, you know, and save the day and where this is the not at all has as that type of storyline or behavior in it. And that's what makes it captivating. If you can let go those guards of how we protect ourselves in film where we want to have a happy I and mean, we we want to be entertained where we want to be relieved and that's why we go to the movies i mean there's a reason why the movies were so popular during the depression era is people wanted to be happy they didn't want to see something sad because they were already living sad lives so to have a movie in this time be like this it makes it easier to stomach
0: and i would say like for me like why i would rate this movie really high is that if you do it, I actually walked out of this film seeing this as actually a good source for perspective taking. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's good for all of us to do, like to be able to kind of do a little self inventory, take a little kind of look around you and look at the resources that you have that maybe you don't always recognize and have gratitude about. And it helped me to feel a little more grateful and movies don't, always need to have this big kind of metaphysical impact on all of us and i don't recommend that you go to the movies to find your moral compass um, you'll be definitely disappointed but i do think there's value in this movie is it in a really in a deeper sense and being able to do some perspective taking and if you want to have a good idea of what trauma will do to an individual potentially not all the time you can look at this movie as a really good study and I thought it was so well made, so well acted, and just so every beat was so well thought out and connected in such a, a believable and intricate way that I would rate this. I struggle to rate a movie higher than this in, in how well it was made. Um, so it's going to be up there for me. It's like in the nine and a half or up range. And
1: Let me, let me ask you this, because this is really how Tom rates a movie is. Was
0: there a payoff? See, that's the thing. The payoff for me was that little rant that I just did. Like um, <laughs> that was my payoff. But what I did, you know, you didn't. <laughs> so feel okay. This is. This I just is,
1: I have to say, rewind the podcast. Go to two minutes before this. That was yeah. top payoff.
0: That's the payoff for me. Is just kind of the, but you know, a metric that I I guess. <laughs> It's still hard to say this on air because it's so, like, ch- churlish. But aggression and violence, um, when served up correctly, can be a real source of enjoyment for me in a film. Um, exhibit A, Logan. Exhibit B, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, those two movies served up violence in a way that was so satisfying. What was great about this is they did not glorify violence in this. Oh no! At oh. no point when Joker does something violent, aggressive, and murderous, do you feel good about it. <laughs> now that no. is that says something about how well this film film is made. There yeah. Is, when I say there's no histrionics, I mean they do not put anything on it. Yeah. And that's so. A great point. Yeah. So this is. It's up there because you don't walk away thinking, oh, yeah, uh, you know, push came to shove. No, you walk away like, okay, let's make better choices. <laughs> let's- yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's- <laughs> let's, uh, treat
1: people nicely, um, be careful, um,
0: have, boundaries know, of-
1: <laughs> have boundaries. Have uh, boundaries, you know, get to know people better. <laughs>
0: Let's get out of our headspace and into the, the real world uh, because this is where the precipice could be for me and I don't want to go anywhere near it. <laughs> I mean, I
1: think that really, um, it, it, I, what I thought about all the violence scenes, and I know we're, we're kind of even circling back more because you, you hit a subject here that is right on, is none of the violence was entertaining. Instead, I would say all of it was shocking. I think it was shocking when he shot the guys on the subway, it was shocking with his mother, shocking with the fellow clowns, shocking when we I mean, everything was shocking about it. It was not like, even, you know, there was a little bit of, oh, these guys beating them up. They got their comeuppance, but, um, you know, it was just so over the top that it didn't feel like, oh, yay. You know, you got them, you know, good. You know, this is, Instead, it was oh boy, you know this isn't going to go well, and I, even how society reacted was even didn't react the right way, and <laughs> reacts, you know, it reacted <laughs> wrongly, and um, which is just a commentary in itself that we didn't even talk about was how they glorified the fact that these rich guys got killed by something. It was the fact that somebody rich got murdered, right? I know. And it was, so it just really showed really how bad society was, um, yeah. in every aspect yeah. What the people, the depravity of society. And, you know, Joker was truly born from that depravity that, like, I mean, that's why I liked to even when you saw Murray, was like, I don't care. I don't have, I don't have politics. It doesn't matter to me, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna to have to flip the script on myself here. As a critic, if I have a critic's bone in my body, I would give this a ten. Yeah, this, yeah, this is a ten. Um, this emotionally, you don't feel good about all these shocking things that happen, and nor should you. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you shouldn't do. feel. Me. You shouldn't feel like joy when these vengeful things happen because you don't want society to fall into that abyss. Right right like you don't yeah. want that to happen you don't want right. life to look like that and you don't want life to be the way this it's depicted in joker <laughs> well it's interesting it's
1: like when the cops had him in the car he's like what you he goes look what you've done you know are you happy about this and he's like yeah so
0: and you're like oh wow i'm not happy that you're happy <laughs> yeah
1: it's like yeah it's kind of like he 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 reveled in the chaos right yeah yeah um, he yeah. did and because Really, uh, I think what it portrayed was um, really his mind. Um, society was really what was going on in Joker's mind. Just the chaos of just a bunch of little clowns running around in his brain now it was out in the streets creating riots and breakdown of society. And is was very symbolic mm-hmm. of who he was and how so- uh, society reacts. And, um, Mm-hmm. even to the point you know when we saw the waynes get gunned down and how they even tie in the batman part of it which i thought was a nice nod i thought was kind
0: of cool yeah but uh um,
1: so yeah i, think what, I mean it, I, yeah
0: go ahead. no i think that was a nice kind of wrap up to this review yeah. i think it's um i think uh so that that's our, our review of joker and um we would uh, we would encourage folks to make sure you have a strong stomach if you're gonna plan to go see this movie. Um, but next on the docket for us, Bill, is like when we think future podcasts and maybe a plug for the future would be um, talking about El Camino. Maybe that would be a, a property that we would talk about soon.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I know that um, uh, one of our family favorites is coming out this week as well. And that would be Zombieland 2.
0: Oh, that um, looks fun.
1: Yes. Um, my family and I, um, I think we've watched Zombieland a few times and thoroughly enjoy, uh, Zombieland. And, uh, I think as an audience, those of us who have, uh, followed it are really excited to see what Zombieland 2 is. So it's kind of also snuck under the radar a bit. So hopefully, that doesn't mean that's a bad movie.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Oh, because that sometimes it means that it is a bad movie that it doesn't really know where it's going because it kind of just surprised everybody all of a sudden. So yeah. um I'm I'm I want to see it but I'm hesitant to to expect something great like the
0: first one. Yeah. So. Well, Bill, thank you for uh, joining us, and I think that's going to do it for this review. Yes. Yeah. So for now and until next time, this has been Heroes Garage.
1: Bye-bye.